what we need to realize, uh, particularly with the student loan problem issue, this is, a, this is a problem of our own making. Because somebody got the idiotic idea that everybody needs to go to a four-year college. And instead of focusing our attention and letting people go where their talents are suited best. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spear. Should we have reason to fear a recession on the horizon? The president says no, but Friday the markets tumbled. The Dow losing more than 600 points as the president tweeted about the trade war with China. So what about the Indiana impact? And could RV sales here in the Hoosier State be a potential indicator? Our Kayla Sullivan spoke with a local economist and a business owner. A potential recession has become a national debate this week, sparking pushback from the president and others who disagree. I found out how people here locally are feeling about it. Right off I-65, I love it. The number of RVs you see in the happy campers lot could indicate whether we are close to a recession. It's a, a good bellwether for how do middle class folks feel about the economy right now. The thermal paint windows help keeps it cool. But General Manager Tommy Mecklenburg says right now, sales are better than ever. We're 475% over last year. So it's, it's looking great. We're really excited. We've had to expand our staff and our facilities. Economists aren't sure they'll stay that way for long. Kyle Anderson with the IUPUI Kelly School of Business says he sees a decline on the horizon. I would say we're probably 12 to 18 months away, but it can happen sooner. Anderson credits trade and tariff issues, a decline in the global economy, and weak business investment. President Donald Trump disagrees. Certain people in the media are trying to build up because they'd love to see a recession. Uh, we're very far from a recession. Just because we're having a recession doesn't mean it has to be what we remember from 2008 and 2009, which was which far more severe than a typical recession. These are real kitchen cabinet trees. Mecklenburg hopes not. He knows what typically happens to his industry when the economy is bad. Luxury items are the first thing that people cut out of their budget, and an RV is a luxury item. All right, our partners at the Indy Star reporting this week that the news coming out of Elkhart is, quote, giving some people plenty of reason to be worried. They say total wholesale shipments of RVs are down 20 percent year to date across the industry, signaling to some Indiana economists that a recession is on the way, something the president and his supporters have been pushing back on this week. First of all, I don't see a recession at all. The American economy is strong. We see a very robust economy. All right. That's the reaction there. The president, meantime, tweeting on Friday, our country has lost stupidly, he said, trillions of dollars with China. Later adding on the next page, our great American companies are, quote, hereby ordered to immediately start looking for an alternative to China. In the midst of all this, the president meeting with world leaders this weekend. But next week, his secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, and Vice President Pence will be right here in Indianapolis, all part of the American Legion Convention, which got underway this week here in Indy. All right, also today we are hearing from a state lawmaker at the center of controversy after posting a picture of a noose on social media last week. State Rep Jim Lucas defending his post this week while members of the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus say the post was abhorrent. When I first heard about the post, I was just highly disgusted and irritated because in this age and time, when we have just racism spewing from the federal level, we don't need this kind of conduct from our state leaders at a local level. The IBLC would love to sit down with Representative Lucas for one, to call him out on his racist behavior and let him know that this is unacceptable in our state and in our community, 
and also just educate him on how these words and images impact our community. This week, Representative Lucas sat down with our Birchelle Edme. You don't see some of the issues people are taking with the gallows and two hanging nooses, two ropes that for some do represent lynching and nooses. No. I mean, if, if that's how they view it, there's nothing I can do about that. That was not my intent. I've, I've said it a thousand times over, and I'll keep saying it. My intent was to relay the fact I believe that we should be bringing back public executions to use as a deterrent. Um, when you look at the things, okay, the, the, the purpose uh, of that meme was a reflection of, of the crime committed. It was by a person that had confessed to the crimes. Yes, an African-American suspect who did confess certainly. to three rapes. Three rapes. Guilty to um, violently. He used a brick you know, on, with one victim. He had a brick in his hand. Confessed. They had DNA evidence and fingerprint evidence. Okay. A serial rapist. Okay. You, a serial rapist, uh, murderers, child molesters, child trafficking. I believe all of those people should suffer um, capital punishment. And so the race of this suspect, who again did plead guilty, had no weight or bearing when you posted that photo? Zero. No, it was the crime because I've used that exact same picture, which happens to be of the courthouse gallows in Tucson, Arizona, which is now a historic state park. Okay, So it's still in existence. It is part of you know, Arizona's history, and they're using it for display. Race had nothing to do with it, absolutely nothing. It's the crime. And, and I am more stunned at this than anybody that race was made the issue. And it's, it's really sad to see so many people jump on board and try to purposely make it about race while overlooking the fact that this man is a serial rapist. Let's talk about the conversation this has launched under okay. that post, because as you mentioned, it has created a larger dialogue. There's sure. been people that are certainly upset by it. There are people who agree with you and don't see this as a noose or in any way related to race. But for your constituents who feel as if this was racist, the photo, and also are now questioning you as a racist person, what do you say to them? Well, I've got to make words again. It's amazing how words can get twisted. And I can sit here and say I'm not racist all day long. And what I've seen on Facebook, all of a sudden, you know, people that acknowledge that makes them racist, which I don't agree with. So you ask me a question, I defend myself. And really, according to some people, there's no defense to that. So we have to move past the insanity of those arguments. Um, again, I've used this same picture dozens of times. You know, just a few days prior, I did use that exact same picture of the gallows on a white guy, you know, that had committed a heinous crime. No outburst. You know, but I use it on somebody of color, and all of a sudden it becomes this, this big, blown out of proportion um, issue that, that people intentionally, I think, are trying to make an issue of. And what you said previously is the reason for using this photo is because you believe public executions should come back. Yes, Can on you... somebody that we have irrefutable proof of, a confession. You know, when you have DNA evidence or when you look at some of these school shooters, okay, they were witnessed committing their, their heinous act. Why we allow them to languish, you know, on the taxpayer dole for decades on end without, you know, let's finish the crime and move on and send a signal as a deterrent to people that might want to commit those crimes. 
Well, aside from your intention here behind this photo, I know that the Indiana Black Legislative Caucus has responded to this as well, and they called your actions or behavior rather abhorrent and said the actions are hurtful and intimidating to the African-American community. They invited you to have a conversation with them about why this photo may be perceived a certain way or has an impact on this community. Have you accepted that invitation? Will you speak with Did them? Did they invite me? In a statement, yes. Okay, nobody's reached out to me. If I wanted to invite you to something, I would reach out to you personally. Nobody from the Black Caucus has reached out to me. Would you be open to speaking Absolutely. to Absolutely. I'll meet with anybody, anytime, anywhere about any of these issues. But they have to reach out to me. You know, let's not go through the media and make a sound bite out of it or, or try and get some, uh, you know, uh, some media attention. If, you truly, if anybody truly has an issue with this, reach out to me. I'm easy to find. I want to talk about one policy matter before we let you go. Okay. Guns at school, I know you've been very adamant about being a part of that conversation. This yes. week alone, we or this month, really, since school has started, we've seen five different incidents of children having guns within their backpacks, on their person, on school campus, near school campus. Yes. Parents are concerned about school safety, school shootings. Sure. What do you say to parents? What kind of policy are you maybe thinking of or your caucus or legislators in Indiana to address some of these concerns? Well, I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for my caucus. You know, we're out of session, so we've not had that discussion yet. Um, personally, what can you do? You know, um, where are the parents in these instances? And we can pass all the laws we want, but those kids are already breaking dozens of laws on the books. You know, it's illegal to carry a, a handgun without a license. And I know they're too young to have a license to do that. It is a felony to bring a school, a, a firearm on the school property. So they're, you know, they're creating, they're making a felony right there. And all of the other laws that go along with it, we can't legislate human behavior. State Rep Jim Lucas there with our Beershell Edme. As Beershell mentioned, several recent incidents involving local students caught with guns at school in recent days. Our Nick McGill has more. It's a school year off to a concerning start. Five gun incidents in less than two weeks. Now parents like Steve Rogers from Noblesville say enough is enough. This is not sustainable. We cannot continue to live like this and we don't have to live like this. Rogers is part of the group Noblesville Stands Together. They're calling on lawmakers to enact new legislation like child access prevention laws, which would make it illegal for an adult to keep a gun in a place or manner that a child can easily access it. All we're really saying is that if you're going to be a responsible gun owner, you should take responsibility. Rogers says some steps, like the state's red flag law, have been taken, but more needs to be done. Well, Indiana's led the way with respect to making sure we take firearms out of the hands of mentally ill individuals, individuals who present a harm to others or themselves through passing a so-called red flag law. I support the debate. But until they figure out the right approach, Rogers says families and communities like Noblesville feel stuck in place. It's hard to move on when you've got kids in the neighborhood that are still in counseling because of that day they hit under their desk wondering if they were going to die. Nick McGill reporting. Nick, thanks. Up next, we're talking about the race for mayor in Indianapolis, a new poll and a new proposal dealing with toll roads. Plus, she's called for legalizing marijuana. Now she's launched a campaign to run for attorney general. State Senator Karen Tallian is telling us about current AG Curtis Hill. That's next.
this mayoral election year, we're about to see the candidates go head-to-head -head for the first time this week. They're already talking about some big issues ahead of the Indy Chamber event on Thursday. And we're also seeing the first public polling on the race. Here are those numbers from IndyPolitics.org and Mason Strategies. Mayor Hogsett with a commanding 55-27 lead, at least in this poll, with 15 percent still undecided. 53 percent of those polled said they felt the city was on the right track. Now, this past week, the candidates went back and forth on the issue of infrastructure. Senator Merritt calling for toll roads to pay for potholes. For example, do we look at charging a fee to use express or toll lanes on Binford and Fall Creek and other three through roads so that those who choose to move more quickly through the city pay their fair share? Now, on his campaign account, Mayor Hogsett tweeted about Merritt's proposal saying, quote, this isn't leadership, it's madness in his view. Again, all of this as we see those new polling numbers this week. Let's talk about it all right now with our panel, former GOP lawmaker and former Marion County GOP chair Mike Murphy, Democratic District Chair and co-founder of Hoosier Women Forward, Leanne Holka with us this week as well. Editor and publisher of IndiePolitics.org, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, and contributing editor for Politico and Indianapolis Monthly, Adam Wren. Abdul, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you released this poll on IndiePolitics.org this past week. What does this tell us? about the race for mayor? Uh, it says right now, and this is what's always important for people to remember, a poll is not a prediction, it is a snapshot in time. And so that's really important for the audience to understand. Uh, right now, though, you'd much rather be Joe Hogsett than Jim Merrick with a 20-something you know, point lead. However, when you kind of break down the crosstabs, you can see possibly a pathway to victory for Merrick. Joe has a 72% sort of favorability rating, but only 41% of those polls said they would actually definitely vote for him. And so that's like a 30-point difference. Now, does Merritt have the money and the resources and the, and the time to catch up? That still remains to be seen. And that's a big gap. Are you surprised to see the mayor ahead by that much in this poll, Leah? No, I'm not surprised. The mayor is a very popular mayor. Um, I think the real, the real disappointing numbers were for Merritt's campaign. 27% um, uh, to a guy who has been um, in office since 1990. Uh, Marion County voters know him, and, and they, there's not a lot of time, uh, unfortunately, to, to, for him to catch up. Um, they already know him. What are you expecting to see, Mike, as these two candidates go head-to-head -head this week in the Indy Chamber uh, Forum? I imagine they'll talk a lot about this toll road proposal that Senator Merritt suggested in terms of tolling drivers on, on Binford Boulevard. Yeah, neither one of them is a great performer in front of a live, in front of a live camera. They, you, know, you saw Merritt like to read his statements there. Hogsett is a halting speaker, to say the best, and in, I'm not sure how many Robert Kennedy quotes he'll be able to use in the debate this week, but he'll do his best there. Um, I, I see it, you know, it's really merits to win in a way. I mean, Hogs at his way. He's talking about all talked yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. What You're saying he's is, got nothing to lose at this He's point. got nothing to lose in the debate. The problem is the debate will really not be seen by anybody. It's not televised live. It's not yeah. televised live. So you'll have a couple hundred people, you know, who've paid to get in, who already have chosen their sides. I don't see it having a, a big a big impact. The only way it can have an impact for Mayor if he does score some good hits and he can take that and turn that into some more media. Adam, your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I think that there's not a lot of time left in this race, and I think Hogsett is the presumptive favorite at this point. Um, you know, but Merritt is a he's a dogged campaigner, 
And if, if anybody can do it and anybody can put the legwork in, it's him. All right, this is a poll, Abdul, as you mentioned, of Marion County voters. And uh, also, you polled on a number of other uh, key figures in, in politics, including the president, who you see there with a 38% uh, approval rating uh, in Marion County, 41% approval rating for Mayor Pete Buttigieg in that poll. Let's look at some other numbers, though. What, what about in terms of Governor Holcomb and, and Attorney General Curtis Hill? Uh, we saw Governor Holcomb, as you can see on the screen there, 60% uh, approval rating here in, in Marion County. In Marion County, which if I were a Democrat thinking about running for governor, I may want to think about doing something else right now, because when Eric Holcomb is at 60% in a county that he lost approval rating, uh, the county that went you know, for Hillary Clinton, for Barack Obama, those are very good numbers uh, for Eric Holcomb. And actually, they're also comparable with African-American voters that have them at about 58, 60% as well. Curtis Hill, meantime, 54% have no opinion of Curtis Hill, while just 14% approve. And we also believe that that is actually really good news for Curtis Hill, because he's, this, Marion County members sort of ground zero uh, for the controversy that the Attorney General is currently facing, which could determine whether uh, he stays in office. And so if more than, if more than half the people either don't know or don't care, that's not a bad universe to be in. Of course, it could have been that Marion County voters are polite and they didn't really want to express their opinion. No, they, no, they, were, very, no, they were very honest, trust us. <laughs> All right, meantime, let's talk about the race for Attorney General here because people on both sides of the aisle uh, lining up to run in that race next year. This week, State Senator Karen Tallian announced she will seek the Democratic nomination for Attorney General. A supporter of medical marijuana, Tallian has been in the State Senate since 2005. Indiana has a, an imbalance in our state government um, and that it is and that Curtis Hill is uh, moving in a very far right direction um, and that somebody needs to speak up for the other side. We all know that the, the governor, the uh, pro tem and the Speaker of the House have all called on him to resign. I don't know if Curtis Hill will even be the nominee um, this time next year, uh, but you know I'm running on my record and I'm running on on the things that I think the AG's office ought to be doing. There is also a Republican looking to primary Curtis Hill next year, John Westerkamp, uh, perhaps others who might be getting into the race, but this is an office that's been in Republican hands for a long time. Is this a winnable seat at all for Democrats? Sure, it's a winnable seat, um, especially you look at those uh, favorability numbers at 14 percent um, for Curtis Hill. I mean, those are those are absolutely atrocious. Um, and it's, it's great that Senator Tallian is getting in the race now. There's been rumors that she um, w would enter the race, and, and she's made it official. But she's also drawn a, a great distinction between how she views the attorney general's office and how Curtis Hill views the att attorney general's office. Obviously, Curtis Hill has been under controversy. As uh, Senator Tallian pointed out, we simply don't know if he'll be the Republican nominee next year. That's right. It's going to come down to what a few hundred party insiders think, and their uh, predilection might be different than you know what ours is here inside the 465 bubble. Yeah, obviously it's determined at the convention uh, in this case. Let's get back also to uh, State Rep. Jim Lucas here, because I want to get your thoughts uh, on this controversy and his attempt to defend that controversial Facebook post. Again, the Black Legislative Caucus calling the post uh, abhorrent and unacceptable. Uh, what about Representative Lucas's response to all of this this week, the interview he gave here and elsewhere? Uh, I've known Jim for years, and uh, Jim is, you know, does he shoot from the hip? Yes. Is Jim Lucas a racist? No. Jim Lucas is not 
are racist and to call Jim Lucas a racist is, is ridiculous. Is, now, does Jim sometimes maybe should think before he posts on social this media? This isn't the first time he's been under scrutiny for right, some of his Exactly. Posts. I mean, for, for Jim Lucas, this is called Tuesdays. I mean, just, just to be honest with you. And, and he did, and he does have a very valid point. Uh, when there was another issue about another uh, criminal serial rapist, he put up the pictures of the nooses. But once again, does Jim not think before he speaks, before he thinks sometimes? Yes. Jim Lucas racist? No. What should be done here? We did reach out to Speaker Bosma's office, by the way, and we're told that Speaker Bosma uh, was on vacation and did not have a comment. But he has talked in the past about uh, perhaps wanting to punish lawmakers who do make comments on social media that, uh, that run afoul of, of the image they're trying to present. Uh, Republican leadership should ask, should ask him to resign. Um, and I'm sorry, I disagree. I mean, his posts do <laughs> indicate he's a racist, a misogynist, a sexist. And this isn't the first time uh, that we've seen posts like this. There seems to be a pattern on his part. And, and everything's leading us to believe that these are intentional. And the only question is, when's the next one coming? Mike? And I would say the counterpoint to that is, when does Dan Forrestal resign? Are you going to sit here and, and demand that Dan Forrestal resign for uh, trying to buy cocaine in bars and in, impersonating a police officer and going into people's yards and saying, where are the drugs? I need to know where the drugs are. I don't know. I, I mean, do we trade, do we trade resignation for resignation? We'll see what happens there. Speaking of controversy on social media as well, a lot of people talking about the president and his tweets Friday as uh, the markets took a tumble with more talk of uh, the trade war intensifying. Yeah, um, he uh, either jokingly or seriously, um, I'm not sure which would be worse, um, said that the, the market drop was due to the uh, leaving of the, of the presidential race by Democratic Representative Seth Moulton. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not sure that this is something that gives consumers uh, or the market's confidence either Also way. kind of went after the Fed chair and, and, and said in a tweet uh, that American companies uh, should be ordered to stop doing I actually know what the best thing we could China. do for Donald Trump, the best thing we could do to save this country is buy that man some mittens. So he cannot <laughs> so he use tweet. Twitter and cannot use his phone. Then he'd okay. use his nose. We'll <laughs> talk about it more on our podcast. we got to leave it there. Up next, an Indiana Republican enters the race to replace Representative Susan Brooks. And here's a hint. His brother already serves on Capitol Hill. We'll be right back. A new candidate in the race for the 5th District Congressional seat. Steve Braun filed paperwork this week. He's the brother of Senator Mike Braun, the seat currently held by Susan Brooks, who's not seeking re-election. Steve Braun ran for the 4th District seat last year and lost to Jim Baird in the GOP primary. Stick around. We're back with this week's Winners and Losers right after this. All right, let's close with this week's winners and losers. Adam. A loser is Democratic gubernatorial candidate Woody Myers, who hasn't raised a $10,000 contribution yet. And winner is uh, Republican Jim Banks, who raised $50,000 in a one-right fundraiser on Tuesday. With Steve Scalise. Big winners, charters and vouchers. Overwhelming support in our poll for charters and vouchers, 53%. The general population, 63% African-American families. My loser this week is Indiana teachers. Um, the governor's teacher pay commission met this week that included corporate execs, philanthropists, nonprofit leaders, and not one teacher. I fail to see how this bodes well for Indiana teachers. My winners are any Democrat who had this, the brains to get out of the presidential race this week. A few did. That's right. right. Three or four did. We're going to leave it right there. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. All right, back here uh, to wrap things up on the podcast now. Adam Ren, Abdul Hakim Shabazz, Leanne Holker, Mike Murphy with us this week. Uh, let's pick it up where we left off, talking about uh, the economy, fears of a recession, the market taking a bit of a tumble on Friday, and the president tweeting about the trade war with China. Well, I think the, the president is trying to take a long-term view, and you know I'm not a huge fan of Trump. 
But you know, his attitude is he doesn't care if the market goes up or down on any particular day. He swears that he is going to defeat China in a trade war, and ultimately history will show him to be the, the, the victor, so to speak. He says the Chinese economy is faltering. They've lost a couple million jobs. He says we're in the best place in American economic history to, to take on China, and he says, I'm going to do it. Just watch me. Look, I actually think Mike oh, is wrong, wrong on this. I think the mistake that Trump made came long before today, and the mistake he made is whenever the market was doing well, he too closely identified himself and cla that. claiming that as a win. And now, um, you know, as, as the trade winds have shifted, uh, pun intended, um, he's, he's so closely aligned with that market drop. So I think um, from a long-term perspective, he's failed in messaging uh, long, you know, years and months before today by closely aligning himself in, with, with, with but, the day-to-day -day wins and in I, the market. But I, I agree. I agree that he's failed in messaging. The problem is he's the first president in probably 100 years who doesn't care about messaging. I mean, he just, you know, he is what he is. He does his own messaging. Yeah. yeah. I mean, five o'clock no morning. God knows what. You're right. Yeah. The strategy. Uh, he, yeah. he, he does it all. And if we go into a recession, who's he going to blame? Who's Trump going to blame for He'll the blame recession? Blame Obama. He blames Obama for everything. Or yeah. he'll blame the blame at the Fed. Will he blame China? Fed chair. Uh, yeah, the media. Yeah. I mean, uh, we heard um, Vice President Mike Pence speaking to the Detroit Economic Club. Um, last week on Monday, essentially saying, you know, some in the media are irresponsibly uh, reporting that uh, things are taking a downturn, and you know, clearly, I think the Fed and the media, in Trump's mind, will take the blame for this turnaround. And he did tweet uh, targeting both uh, the Fed, the media, uh, on Friday. And that's why I said we did the program this week that the best thing somebody could do is buy that man just a pair of mittens and a nose guard to keep him off of Twitter and off of his phone. I mean, Mike I, was the one who suggested yes, exactly. he might be able to tweet yeah, with his nose. nose. That yeah. takes, that takes I'm a free, I believe in free markets, free trade, and free people. And this man is doing everything humanly possible to take one of the healthiest, best economies we've had and literally run it into the ground. I mean, trade, wouldn't, trade wars never end well uh, for anybody. We're already seeing signs of an economic slowdown, which, by the way, is natural what you need because when the when economies slow down, we build efficiencies and we get rid of inefficiencies and waste mm -hmm. in the system. So these things are just natural. The question is going to be, is going to be sort of a soft landing, the temporary is going to be a hard landing. And the more and more Donald Trump gets on Twitter and acts completely ridiculous and insane, the more there's going to be a hard landing than a soft landing. If, if this election is going to be litigated about socialism, um, it's hard at this point to figure out who's more of a socialist. Uh, the, the Democrats <coughs> who are proposing a $32 trillion health care program, or Donald Trump. Well, the president who's order here by ordering. Ordering, <laughs> ordering companies and also uh, restructuring a national planned economy by giving, you know, however many billion dollars to the farmers to make up for the cost of the trade. What about the impact for well, farmers? Well, here let's talk about Indiana because the governor, Governor Holcomb, has also said we have a, a strong, robust, excellent economy and mirrored um, President Trump's comments on the economy. Um, but the reality is we are over leveraged in manufacturing in this state. Um, and if a recession does hit, um, it's going to hit Indiana harder than, than, than other states. Um, and I don't hear Governor Holcomb are talking about anything, any plans to. Um, to protect his citizens um, from that potential recession. Well, I guess I guess I disagree with her. The Holcomb's one of the five pillars of his administration is 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 the next level jobs program, which is recognizing that some people, uh, all, all Hoosiers, need to improve their lot in life, and the ones who don't have a BA or a master's degree or something can do so by becoming certified in other industries. The sort of the whole certification program, and thousands of people are going online. Uh, in the last year, and thousands more will go on this year, 
to be uh, better educated through Vincennes University, through a union program, through Vincennes or other, other certification programs. And I think you're going to see all boats get lifted over the next couple of years, which will help protect people from a recession, which, mm -hmm. as you know, if you said correctly, Indiana is always one of the first one in and one of the last ones out mm -hmm. of a recession because of the manufacturing base. Mm -hmm. Manufacturing is not bad. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. RV sales, we talked about that. Sure. The RV sales in Elkhart, always kind of an indicator. And, of course, the, the political saying always, it's the economy, stupid. That's always the key in a lot of yeah. elections. And, right. and obviously both the presidential and race we, and the race for governor yeah, we, on the ballot we, here this year. We can't talk about, I mean, a potential recession without addressing the, the student loan bubble, which could be a, a big uh, cause of, of an impending uh, recession. Um, you know, I work in bankruptcies, uh, a bankruptcy attorney, and, and it used to be in 2008 when the last recession hit, we saw people filing because they didn't have health insurance um, and they had a major medical event. And now um, what we're seeing is people are filing because they can't pay their student loan debt. <laughs> and by the way, they work minimum wage at a restaurant. But, um, but, so but, these are people that have college yeah. degrees. And, and, um, and I, I don't know what we're doing in, in Indiana, what our leadership is doing to address that. But as somebody who also attorney and does debt collection, you cannot go to a four-year school, get a degree in art history, and live in Richmond, Indiana, and think you, you're going to have to go where the jobs are. It, it is just that simple, number one. Well, but number two, what we need to realize, uh, particularly with the student loan problem issue, this is, a, this is a problem of our own making. Because somebody got the idiotic idea that everybody needs to go to a four-year college. And instead of focusing our attention and letting people go where their talents are suited best, for some people it's trade school, for some people it's a two-year institution. I've taught college for 15 years. There are some kids who do great in that classroom environment. Some, maybe another alternative environment is best for them. But we had this silly idea that everybody needs to go to school. And so what did we do? We made it, well, we just increased the market forces to increase student loan debt. And we were about, well, basically, you know, this is a problem of our own making. Well, there could be a lot of uncertainty out there as we look at some very competing ideas, very different and competing ideas ahead of next year's election on how to handle some of these economic situations. Yeah, um, I thought it was interesting on Friday when Rep, uh, Representative Seth Moulton dropped out of the race, he essentially said that he saw the race now as a three-person contest between uh, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, and former Vice President Joe Biden. And if you look at those uh, three kind of frontrunners, and in a lot of ways, you know, Sanders and Warren have very similar views about how to reform the economy. Joe Biden's really sort of the last person who isn't calling for a structural overhaul of the economy. Um, you know, Warren is calling for, for student debt forgiveness. Um, you can actually go on our website and type in um, the amount of student loans you have and figure out how, you know, how much of those uh, you, you will have forgiven. Um, I wouldn't know because I haven't done that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I think we have really kind of, um, of two competing visions on the Democratic side of where things will go in the next few months will tell us um, you know, whether people want to, to live in kind of a totally reformed economy or whether they want to continue to live in, in the structural economy. And, and the, the problem is that neither the Republican vision nor the Democratic vision really gets us anywhere long term. If anybody read Mitch Daniels' op-ed piece in the Washington Post a few days ago, week, yeah. what he said is we, need, be a Democratic Nixon. we need a Democratic <laughs> Nixon. And, and I don't see anybody in the Democratic lineup who potentially has the courage to do what Nixon did, to go against his own, his own instincts and to be a real leader. 
I don't see a real leader in the Democratic group. If you look at, um, I mean, if you look at the Democratic field, only two of the candidates so far have talked about the deficit: uh, former Vice President Joe Biden and South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And Pete Buttigieg kind of frames the deficit in similar generational terms that Mitch Daniels does. Now, granted, uh, Buttigieg is you know talking about programs that would cost in the trillions of dollars, but he frames those as kind of a generational investment that would pay for themselves. Um, so, I, you, I, you know, kind of looking at the tea leaves, you wonder if, if Mitch Daniels looks at someone like Pete Buttigieg and thinks that they can kind of take it to their party. I mean, after all, this last week we've heard a lot of debates about who has the better spicy chicken sandwich, Chick-fil-A <laughs> or Popeye's chicken. I can't believe that didn't come up on our program. And, and Buttigieg, <laughs> Buttigieg, as a Democrat, really had a Nixon the China moment when he said that he does eat at Chick-fil-A. Um, and you don't see a lot of Democrats confessing that. At this but one, thing about, one thing that I really enjoy about Mitch Daniels is his writing is almost perfection. Every word is chosen for impact. He has the pledge he's not going to be political vice president of Purdue. He did not take, never mentioned Trump once in his op-ed, never advocated for his defeat. He said we need a Nixon Democrat or Democrat Nixon soon. Well, that could be two years, four years, six years, eight years down the road. Very clever guy, but his overall point is we are, we are condemning our children your children, my children, and our grandchildren to a lesser life, and we shall be ashamed. Well, you know what else Both is parties. condemning our children to a lesser life? Is he, Mitch Daniels is the mastermind behind right to work. I mean, for lower wages, so that's... Well, but, but the thing again, but union membership is actually up in Indiana. Everybody go. said right to work was going to destroy you, destroy Indiana, destroy unions. Union membership is actually It is up. a fascinating column. Welcome to the, the Washington like Post. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, what else stood out to you guys uh, this week at the state, <clears throat> local level? Uh, we did talk earlier about Jim Lucas, about uh, the race for attorney general, some of your polling out this week. What else stood out to you here in Indiana politics? I still think it's interesting that we've gone another week without Buttigieg getting a major endorsement in an early state like Iowa. Or, he um, seems to be putting all of his eggs yeah, in the Iowa basket. Yeah, and days, he right? hasn't gotten a major endorsement from an African-American uh, Hoosier elected official. Um, I'd be interested to hear what people like Robin Shackelford and others, uh, Andre Carson and others, think about his candidacy. Two other big events this week. Uh, Daniel Webb, the former U.S. attorney, was named as a special prosecutor to look into a potential conspiracy between Jesse Smollett and I can't remember the... Kim Fox, the Cook Kim County Fox, attorney. Kim County prosecutor, Chicago, yeah. yeah to see if there was any kind of a conspiracy there. That'll be interesting to follow. And another thing just happened on Friday was David Koch, one of the legendary right. Koch brothers, Passed died away. at the age of yeah. 79. That's really an earthquake in the conservative uh, uh, campaign financier arena. Hmm. What are you leaving as a state? I don't know, but I, I, I'm going to be looking <laughs> at my mailbox to tomorrow. Out, right? <laughs> <laughs> After the end, uh, what right. else did I see you this week? Um, well, what stood out is um, how people are ta still talking about gun control. Um, and our, our gun reform. And a number of incidents at local schools. And then there were a number right? of yeah. incidents at local schools where um, children bought, brought handguns to school. Um, so the issue uh, isn't going away. We've got to see real leadership and we, uh, on this issue, but and we can go back to Jim Merritt. I mean, we can't forget that, that Senator Merritt is the one that voted while well, a state senator um, to, to block uh, cities from being able to take action on, on guns. Um, and so, you know, in some ways our, our hands are tied um, to address this issue, but the reality is 90% of uh, people support common sense gun reform, and I think most people do not think 
Uh, the everyday citizen should have access to military-style uh, weapons and high magazine. The president's okay. seemingly backing away this week, uh, perhaps, from the idea of making big changes when it comes to background checks. Well, so for I mean, me, the two big things uh, were both education-related, uh, one poll-related, one not. I sat through two hours of the teacher uh, pay hearing. Uh, back on this, Monday. Back on yeah. Monday uh, at Ivy Tech. And I was amazed at how much this went to know the the attack on charters and the attack on vouchers when I don't think some of these people understand that if you got rid of all the money for charters and vouchers put all those kids back into traditional public school settings you would not have any more money matter of fact you'd actually have less because you have to have to hire more teachers that's point number one point number two what really surprised me in the, in the poll was the fact was the fact that 53 percent of Marion County residents very blue Marion County Indianapolis uh, supported charter and choice, and that number for African Americans was 63%, which once again goes to tell me that that Meridian Kessler progressive Patachow crowd has no idea what most of these African American families are dealing with, and these types of communities, these types of situations, because they're the ch they're their children who are benefiting from this, and that's why they like it, even though what I call the white privileged progressive crowd can't stand it, because they're totally detached. Bill Crawford, one of the legendary Democratic legislators of all time in Indiana, said that school choice is one of the last great civil rights issues. In fact, I was on the floor one time, we had a voice vote about school choice and it was close. So you have to do division of the House, one, you know, the yeses stand and the noes stand. The yeses, all the Republicans stood up and he was the only Democrat who stood up on the floor of the House for the Democrats on the Democratic side and was for school choice. And Democrats were yelling at him, we're going to get you, we're going to get you. And he said, bring it on, bring well, it on. I'd love to know what he would say now about school choice when the scales have tipped in favor. I mean, we've been pouring more and more money to charters and, and to vouchers um, in this state. And I'd love to know what he really, you know, what he would say about it now. Well, I'll tell you what he said was, he said it over and over again, was wealthy white people have school choice by virtue of their wallet. And poor people, whether they be white or black, are condemned to whatever school they're assigned to, whether it be a good school or a horrible school. And that's, that's not civil rights. I even saw an exchange this week with uh, former Indy Star reporter Tom Lobianco kind of revisiting the whole charter school. That's right. Uh, changing grades controversy yeah. from yeah. a few years back. Uh, so obviously a topic that will continue to make news uh, in politics. He's got a book coming out on uh, Yeah, Mike it comes out September out vice president, 24th. It would be a big yeah. national release. Yeah. All right, uh, guys, thank you so much for being thank here you. this week. We appreciate it. And as always, go to fox59.com slash infocus or cbs4indy.com slash infocus to get all the latest on your Indiana political news.